Hi, this is Tupac. Yeah, this is Tupac. Buenas noches. Hi, this is Marisol. How are you doing? Oh, I'm pretty good. Good, good. Um, well, thank you. I, I want to just express my my gratitude and, and respect um, for taking the time to to speak with us. Um, and uh, yeah, I just wanted to ask you uh, a few questions about your work um, and then to talk a little bit about DACA from an indigenous perspective. And what this will be is uh, a podcast um, for deceleration. Um, so we're a, we're a, we, we're an online news journal, um, that covers environmental justice and indigenous rights, um, migrant rights, uh, human rights and, um, and peace issues. Um, so when Ana Yance had, had, um, had forwarded us the article that you sent, um, it's something that's kind of just right up, right up, uh, our alley in terms of what we what we cover. So if we're based on we're based in San Antonio. So that's how so that's how I I know Anayanse. We're both here. Did you know I was born there? Oh no, I didn't. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Six, 56 years. Ago. Uh huh. And then yeah, you so. you you've been in Arizona for how long? Since nineteen eighty. Uh huh. But but yeah, go ahead and tell me tell me a little bit about yourself, your name, um, your community, anything about the work that you do that you want to share. Uh, sure. Uh, we'll start then at the beginning. Nekale no toka tupaf Enrique Costa ya utashka utatoka na wakali iskaloteka. My name is Tupac Enrique Costa and. I am based, I work out of an organization that based here in Phoenix, Arizona. The territory of Phoenix, Arizona uh, is in actuality part of the territory's traditional of the Autumn Nations, no? Mm -hmm. It's an Autumn Nations territory, and to a great extent, throughout the state, what is known as the state of Arizona, we have uh, 21, 22 tribes, federally recognized tribes. Mm -hmm from the government in Washington, D.C. by that federal government. And uh, one of those happens to also be the Yaquis, which also has recognition from the federal government on the Mexico, Mexico side. Mm -hmm. I understand that there's also a group of Kikopus mm -hmm. who live here. They have a community here, though they're not recognized on this side. And of course, the Kikopus have got a similar type of binational recognition in Texas and Coahuila, no? Mm -hmm. So uh, our organization that I work with, I work, I, I've been working for Tonatiera since its foundation, oh, wow. 1993. Uh -huh. And prior to that, we had another organizational initiative that was called the Maricopa County Organizing Project. And that was the entity that was the organizing uh, branch, the in organizing infrastructure of the Movimiento Campesino here in what is known as the state of Arizona. Mm -hmm. So our roots are in the, the farm worker movement. In 1993-94, uh, <clears throat> we went through a transition period that was catalyzed by our participation, our invitation to attend in 1990, the first continental encuentro continental in Quito, Ecuador in 1990. Mm -hmm. 
we were invited to attend that as Chicanos, mm -hmm. as a Chicano organization, as a, as a Chicano community, to participate in the first continental indigenous encounter mm -hmm. in Quito. And at that point, uh, it was catalytic to the conversation that we're having now, having now, as a matter of fact. And in many respects, uh, everything that has come since, as far as Donatier, the organization, that was a catalytic event. Mm -hmm. I say that because when we were asked to go to Quito, of course, uh, we were found yourself in a dynamic of being participants among hundreds indigenous nations that have survived the 500 years of colonization and were making an effort to regenerate the cultural connections, mm -hmm. ancestral connections, uh, uh, spiritual connections, political and legal connections that had been devastated by the centuries of colonization. Mm -hmm. So after 500 years, that strength was still uh, inherent and embedded in our reality. And by bringing it forward in 1990 in Quito, one of the realities that we were faced with was the challenge of communication. Porque, como bien se sabe, no muchos del sur hablan español, Spanish-speaking indigenous peoples, or Portuguese in terms of Brazil. Mientras que acá en el norte, up in the north, the native folks speak mostly English. They might speak French up in up in Canada as well. So what happened was that the elders seeing the challenge of the communication that was going to be absolutely necessary. There was going to be a hope to achieve coherence, communication, and an effort of, uh, of integrity. Uh, they put us in a position to be a bridge uh, organization, a bridge community mm -hmm. between the North and the South in Quito, Ecuador in 1990. Mm -hmm. We took on that role at their request, at their uh, direction. And from there to now, uh, many things have occurred, including the second continental encuentro took place in 1993 mm -hmm. in Temuaya, Mexico. And then from there, it took seven years to organize the first continental summit in the year 2000 in Teotihuacan, Mexico. Mm -hmm. In 2004, uh, the return was made after 14 years back to Quito for the second summit. And that process has continued on to where the third summit took place in Ixinche, in Guatemala. The fourth one took place in Puno, Peru, in 2009. Ixinche was 2007. And then the, the, uh, the fifth summit took place in Cauca, Colombia, in 2013. In Cauca, Colombia, 2013, the determination was made in consensus agreement that the sixth summit was to travel to Honduras. Mm -hmm. In two weeks, I'm going to Honduras. Oh, wow. Uh, throughout this process, going back to 1990, and prior to that, the organization of the farm worker movement that we come out of, uh, Donatien has been the only singular organization, Ito Servidor, the only ones who have been the agent of continuity and, uh, and uh, communications at the continental level of this process. No? So we're moving into Honduras in the next couple of weeks to attend the anniversary gathering of the COPIN, mm -hmm. which is the Coordinadora de Organizaciones Indígenas y Populares de Honduras, the yeah. organization of Berta Cáceres, yeah. who was assassinated, as you know, I'm sure, mm -hmm. two years ago. Mm -hmm. The anniversary of her assassination and the anniversary of the establishment of COPIN is going to be celebrated in two weeks. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's where we're going. 
this is all just to give a brief descriptive of a brief narrative of the work we've done over the last, uh, how many years is that, from 1990? Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, 26 years or whatever it is, as to a point where we serve now uh, for this initiative of a continental commission. Uh, we serve now as a, as a, as a, uh, a secretariat mm -hmm. of the Continental Commission of Abiy Ayala. Abiy Ayala being the name that we have reinscribed to identify the territory of this continent from north to south, from coast to coast. Mm -hmm. The concept and the terminology of America is not used by us as a continental indigenous movement for identification or for, or for self-identity, mm -hmm. only to reference so that we can achieve communication with the settler state systems and the constituency that have been brought about as a result of colonization. Mm -hmm. Which, of course, now we're talking about the DACA, no? Issues of yeah. how those policies of those governments relate to our rights of discrimination. Right, yeah, and I wanted to ask you how, um, I mean, I think the when you look at immigration issues, migration issues from an indigenous perspective and when the point of view is, when your point of reference is not the U.S. government but rather relationship to, original relationship to land, I think it really shifts kind of how you think about that issue of migration or of immigration of DACA. So if, maybe if you could say something a little bit about that. There's a lot to be said. But uh, there's clarifications that have to be made because everything that we could say uh, uh, that we may uh, narrate, uh, we are always faced, and you just made reference to it again, that uh, most of the conversation on this theme, talking about immigration, mm -hmm. is done within the concepts, the terminologies, and the... Uh, the uh, the philologies, no, mm -hmm. of the language systems of the colonizer, mm -hmm. even the term itself, immigration, no, right. it's usually used as a reference of immigration between and among the settler, uh, between and among the government state systems of the world, no. Right. And what are we speaking of? Speaking about a form of control of populations mm -hmm. and allegiances and identities that are described by a hierarchy system, which is known as the state, in particular. The sovereign state, mm -hmm. sovereign state system, which is identified as the United Nations in today's days, which has all of these borders and all of these governments and all of these currencies and all of these armies and all of these competing and colluding interests. None of these government state systems are based on an ecological relationship of well-being with Mother Earth. Mm -hmm. For us, the land is never just the land; it's always our sacred Mother Earth. Mm -hmm. So we're speaking about a form of alienation geopolitically and globally mm -hmm. that has humanity captured within this global system that is known as the Westphalian system. It was established in 1648, a place called Westphalia in, uh, I think it must have been Germany. Mm -hmm. After the Roman Empire falls, the Dark Ages ensue, the feudal kingdoms of the kings or the power structures of, of order and, and all of that chaos. And when the time of the kings came to a close, uh, the, 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 the rise of the mercantile elites who had superseded the power of the kingdom, the royal kingdom, they said, 
uh, we're going to get rid of the king as the sole authority. There's no longer going to be the divided the kings. They eliminated the concept of sovereign as a human personality, and they put that crown of sovereignty onto the states. So now we have the concept of sovereign states. In other words, the United Nations. That's what it's called today. Mm-hmm. But it started in 1648. Yeah. And I'm simply bringing it forward to you. Uh, what is the traditional view of what it is to be a nation as indigenous peoples? Mm-hmm. For us, our nationhood is an expression of our constitution. But what is that? The constitution that we have as beings, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, there, beings who are human, human beings, therefore, are based very fundamentally on our relationship in a holistic sense with what it is the Mother Earth, mm-hmm. with what it is the sacred water, with what it is the wind, in other words, the atmosphere, with what it is the sun, in other words, the electrical, the energetic fields that surround the planet. Mm-hmm. For us, our constitution of nationhood is planetary mm-hmm. and specific, according to our own particular languages, traditions, and most importantly, ecological responsibilities mm-hmm. to the territories that are our homeland. So, so there's a different, completely uh, conception, terminology, that is inferred when we speak of our of our migrations and our responsibilities. And based on that, we confront the government state systems of the UN, including the US, including Mexico, including Canada, and we challenge them to clarify that point. Yes, your governments, yes, your states. We, however, are the, really the nations because we emerge nacemos every day, every dawn, from the sacred relationship to the land, the water, the air, and the fire. Uh, the, uh, and that is our constitution. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's, it's our reality. And mm-hmm. it's also very scientific, as long as, as well as having a very spiritual um, inflection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a, it's such a profoundly, it's a, such a profound shift to think of, um, to think beyond or outside of like, of nation states and and to I mean just the the kind of I mean even the way that you talk about constitution um, to to rethink constitution as that relationship to the sacred instead of the way we normally think of constitution. That, you know, that well, I like, what constitution? You know, this is now we're now we're back on the DACA subject because uh, there everybody's speaking of uh, in all the turmoil going on. Uh, politically, they're talking about the constitutional crisis. They're right. But the constitutional crisis is not just amongst the branches of government, mm-hmm. legislative, executive, and judicial. Those are just the branches. Mm-hmm. The constitutional crisis has to do with this, exactly this, this essential and fundamental question. What is it to constitute a constituency mm-hmm. of human society that is not a derivative of colonization? And by the way, Colonization is illegal. It wasn't always illegal, but it became illegal in 1960 after World War II when the right of self-determination was finally recognized and codified in the international legal system of the United Nations only since 1960. I mentioned to you that I was born in San Antonio. I was born in 1952. That means for the first eight years of my life, I lived in a world where colonization was not only bad, it was legal and normal. We moved out of that phase, just like we moved through the civil rights movement to the concept of equality in terms of civil rights. Martin Luther King 
1967, he said, we have emerged from the era of civil rights to the era of human rights. In 67, he said that. In 68, they killed him. Mm -hmm. This constitutes the, 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 the field of struggle that we are in now. The emergence of the civil rights movement to the human rights movement planetarily that includes for the first time recognition of indigenous peoples as equal in human rights to all of the peoples. Mm -hmm. And that part barely happened in 2007 when the United Nations uh, adopted the UN Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous People. So that tells mm -hmm. me I spent eight years when colonization was legal, mm -hmm. and I've only had 10 years when colonization against indigenous people has become illegal. Mm -hmm. We're at the very, very beginning of a long line fight that's been going on a long time. We have to set the foundations truly in terms of principle, history, reality, and we can't be controlled or managed by what I call the master's narrative. Mm -hmm. The master's narrative that would attempt to define the issues in terms of the colonizers, world vision, his geopolitical structure, his legal structure, his immigration policies, and that would be a total violation of our right of self-determination, mm -hmm. which is what the fight's about. Yeah. And you, that has to be the case because you cannot even aspire or hope to aspire or even dream about self-determination unless you begin with self-definition. That's why our culture, our languages, our ceremonies, that's always been the core and the seed of what constitutes our reality. And it also happens to be very scientific in terms of what what is a, what is our true nature of relationship in complementarity with the natural world mm. of Mother Earth and the cosmos. Yeah. Do you think um, when you you know you mentioned in two thousand seven the the Universal Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous People, and then shortly thereafter the um, in Bolivia the with the the world's I can't remember the name of the it, it was the kind of the counterpart to what happened in Copenhagen there um, it was a, a climate, World climate on the rights of mother yes, and climate yes. change I was there I was yeah. there I you, was there do you see that as, as kind of the next um, step that that recognition of that la madre tierra mother earth is a living being is sacred with rights that also have to be respected. Do you see that as kind of like where things are headed? Um, uh, how close or how far off do you see that cultural shift that needs to happen where like we're moving from like a, a view of the earth as disenchanted as, as a thing to, um, to what we know to be true, which is that, that that the earth is living, that the earth is, is, is complex. We have this relationship, right? It's not just, it's not just land that we can commodify and buy and sell and, and settle. It's something that we have. She's our mother. Yeah. She's our mother. Tonantzin. She's our sacred mother, Tonantzin. That's why we said at the beginning, mm -hmm. uh, for the, in the white man's conception, right? Mm -hmm. I'm saying white man, you know, in the derogatory term, because it really is pathetic and pitiful, the worldview that they promote. Mm -hmm. It comes from a, 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 a premise that the material world is property mm -hmm. and that time is money. It, that's a psychosis. Yeah. That's a form of, uh, that's a mental illness, you know? Mm -hmm. That's a form of, uh, what do they call it, when people have split, split mind or uh, yeah. a, psych a psychological term, a yeah, psychological yeah. illness. 
I don't know if you can think of that. Oh, like schizophrenia? Schizophrenia. It's a schizophrenic culture. But actually, I think it's worse than that. Because to, to get to your question, I just don't, I just, it's not simply that I think this. I think that we all at a gut level, all beings, including human beings, the other beings like the ants and the trees and the birds, they, that's absolutely no question about it. They, they understand this very clearly. But the Mother Earth is going to a migration point. Mm-hmm. She's heading to a migration point where she, as Mother Earth, has been called to a ceremony, as we say in our ways, of these Kalotipka. Mother Earth has let it be known. Our Mother Earth has let it be known. I have elders, two of children. I have elders, too. My elders are telling me, asking me, it's time for you to come to the ceremony for Grandma. Mm-hmm. Mother Earth, before she was Mother Earth, way long in the very beginning of beginnings, before the beginning of beginnings was just a dream. Mm-hmm. And from there became, at one point, a, an infant, an infinite infant. Mm-hmm. And there she became a child. Mm-hmm. And all of these took so much uh, uh, duration, history, for the mothers that we can't even approach that kind of knowledge knowing how long it was. But we do know that she went through that, came from that, and then appeared as a young child, and then a young girl, and then a young maiden. And that was a long, long period too. Mm-hmm. Eventually, to there, then, she became mother. She became mother to us mm-hmm. included. Well, now, all of that time to now, we'll say this of Yayala. Now the Mother Earth, those of us who have known her the longest, who have the longest continuous cultural, historical, spiritual relationship and knowledge of, of, uh, of, uh, of experiences with her, we know, we can see it. She's getting her gray hairs no more. Mm-hmm. Wow, you gotta give them gray She is heading into the next phase of her life as Mother mm-hmm. Earth. And of course, just like any other life form, right? Including us, for example. When the grandma, when the mom's heading to grandma, well, you know, when she's a young mom, she can take care of herself and us too, no problem. Mm-hmm. She gets a little bit advanced, she might need a little bit of help. Mm-hmm. It might be very appropriate for her children to help her along before it's going to be the next phase of her journey. Mm-hmm. It's more than just the ecological climate catastrophe. Mm-hmm. It has to do with the feeling that we have, the love that we have for Mother Earth in terms of being our mother. And here comes another clarification. You know, the other day I woke up, I was, we were doing a mesh conference here in Phoenix. We work with the youth a lot through our mm-hmm. organization. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of the, the youth work through our education component, the Shinashli. Mm-hmm. And I told the Metro students, I woke up today and I was pissed off at Galileo. Mm-hmm. I was pissed off at Galileo because I thought if Galileo had refused to submit to the doctrine of the Catholic Church when he did those observations with the telescope and he realized that it was not a terra-centric universe, mm-hmm. uh, we would have been in a different place right now. Maybe we would have to go through Christopher Columbus, the doctrine of discovery, and all of this. Maybe we would have found a way to interrelate with each other because it was that hierarchical, patriarchal system mm-hmm. that was reaffirmed where science became uh, the schizophrenic counterpart to spirituality in the Western culture. So mm-hmm. when they got here, they were already schizophrenic. They had spies on one side, and their spirituality and religion on the other. We never had that problem. And so what we say there now is that as Mother Earth goes into this next phase, 
uh, were bound to uh, to realize what they were speaking up in the language they call it the prasoli. For example, when we say gracias, mm -hmm. thank you. But in the Nahuatl, in our language, we would say trazo kamati. Mm -hmm. And the trazoli, the trazoli, the trazoli, the concept, we're talking about what the Western world, on one side, they call love, which mm -hmm. I said, the love from Mother Earth, the main article. And on the other side, they call it gravity. Mm -hmm. The power that holds things together, physically, to, uh, even to the atomic and subatomic level. And for us, that's the same power. We don't have that sight schizophrenic split of this is love and that's gravity. No, it's the same thing. It's reality. And it's a very powerful and mysterious power, but although we may not understand it completely, that doesn't prevent us from having a relationship to it, even intellectually, in the form of the great mystery. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about, um, kind of at the beginning of our conversation, you were talking about the catalytic, I think you used the word catalytic kind of nature of um, that first international gathering you went to, the encuentro that happened in, um, where were you, were you saying in Peru or um, in, in 1990, you'll have to, 92 or 93 that you went to and how it, yeah, the, and the way that it shifted kind of um, an understanding of of, of Chicanidad uh, in relationship to those original relationships to, to land. Whoa, whoa. And, whoa. Yeah, go ahead, I'm sorry. Oh, I was just wanting to, to, to ask, like, I think like in Texas especially, I feel like, um, oh, uh, that's right. What I, what I was going to say was it reminded me of, um, of a gathering that I went to in Kansas a few years back um, at Haskell Indian Nations University, um, yeah. which was the, it was the first, uh, the first North American um, Rights of Mother Earth conference and there were different indigenous nations from from all over the continent that came to this and what year was that that was in 2012 okay at haskell in lawrence kansas and um and what was so and what was really prophetic for me about it or cat catalytic um was it really kind of like I was about to come back to San Antonio. I um, I thought I was going to be teaching in the university, and then I realized I didn't want to do that. I wanted to work in the community, um, and I so I and, and I had, uh, but while I was in Kansas teaching at the university, I had gotten involved with at Haskell, uh, which was a it's a multi tribal university there. Um, on issues around um, that it was a, a highway expansion project that was going to cut through their campus and cut through specifically wet wetlands on their campus uh, which was sacred and significant to them because Haskell before it was a, a, a tribal university had been a boarding school and that was where 
children would would meet their families in the wetlands and that that's uh, where a number of children were buried um, during that history of the boarding school and so I had gotten involved in fighting that highway project uh, and it re and then kind of right before I went back to San Antonio like I had attended the the rights of Mother Earth conference at that uh, at the university and it really um, shifted the way that I thought about like environmental justice work and it really shifted the way that I thought about um, you know kind of going going back to San Antonio as my home uh, as the place that I'm from um, as a mixed-blood Chicana woman and it, sh it shifted how I thought about that identity and it also kind of like made me like realize how how alienated even in Texas like Chicanos are um, from a relationship to land uh, and to place and and so I guess I'm my it's it's a very long question but my question is basically in um, you know how can we in Texas but anywhere really uh, start to recover those parts of our identity that were originally tied to to this land or to this continent or wherever we're from you know uh what what can be done to sort of um there's so many people i mean i mean everywhere like people identify as hispanic or they identify as latino uh and I, I, I just feel like if there could be more of a widespread shift in how we understand ourselves in relationship to the earth, to the land, um, and recover that part of identity, like that will be the beginning of a, of a deeper cultural shift that is needed to, to protect the planet and to stop right. destroying it. Bringing that uh, question out, I would say, uh, for my part, just to share, though, mm -hmm. that there is no answer. Mm. I, I, the reason I'm saying it like that is because there is no one answer. Mm -hmm. And in reality, the, the questioning that you're bringing out, it isn't really as it's fundamental. And I believe you're coming at it from its fundamental. Uh, it's not a question, it's a quest. Mm -hmm. The quest of living in harmony with Mother Earth, with the natural world, uh, there's never going to be one single answer to the, to the, to the challenges, how we're going to deal with the, the, the elements of, 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 uh, of uh, destruction mm -hmm. that have brought about the imbalance and the unhealthy cultural environment that is the world that we, the, the society of the world that we live in today mm -hmm. so the question becomes what are we going to do about it mm -hmm. but i think that you very well know without even have to say it and i know it already just by the fact that we're doing this conference call this program mm -hmm. that the first part of whatever is going to happen to answer that question the first part of it is we have to start with ourselves and mm -hmm. when you start talking about um uh, uh, moving in that direction, you know, deliberately, intentionally, many things come 
into into play. Many things come into reality, but uh, we know that the direction we're traveling towards, the the aspirations that we're searching to to make evident, although they may not appear to be the the the, the stories that you see in the paper and the, and the everyday or the realities that we face on our daily life. We know that nevertheless, they're evident, they are true. Mm-hmm. And what happens is that uh, as the systems of violence, which have brought about this uh, colonization, we're speaking about processes of decolonization, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, colonization and decolonization, uh, genocide and self-determination, those are the those are the markers that are out there. When we start to pull towards decolonization, we start to pull away from genocide, and we start from our own, our own self in order to strengthen that because no one can stand alone. No one can do it alone. Mm-hmm. It becomes a cultural issue. It becomes a social issue. It becomes a matter of cultural values and principles mm-hmm. if we're going to sustain that. That means, and this is just an observation, right? But you can take it or leave it. In my view and from my experience, in my view and from my experience, just like when you have to start with yourself, mm-hmm. you have to start with your own family. Mm-hmm. And this is my view and my experience again. But that part takes about 20 years mm-hmm. just to get to the start point. Be able to work with your own family who's been, in many cases, in terms of the Chicano, the Mexicano communities and families, especially the Venteca, the San Antonio, mm-hmm. I know. It takes about 20 years just to get to the start point. Mm-hmm. We get past some of the cultural trauma, the embedded uh, generational trauma that's been passed down to us for 520 years, you know? Mm-hmm. So what I'm simply saying is that takes a lot of uh, determination, self-determination, like I said, start with yourself. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of patience, but all of that is fueled by the fire of the love that we have for our people. Mm-hmm. And if we can build that fire, uh, then it, it, automatically that's going to illuminate a love that we will have for our own self because aren't we part of our people? Mm-hmm. And if we love our people, we're going to have to love ourselves. And therefore, we got what we need to take the fight forward. It's a battle, but it's a battle with built that's that fought with the flame of the fires of love, which I explained to you before. In my view, I'm speaking of the power mm-hmm. of the creation itself. That's what I'm fighting for. That's what I'm fighting for, and that's what I'm fighting with. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, that's really um, that's really helpful. All of it. And, um, yeah, I don't want to take up too much of your time, Tupac. It's, um, I really deeply appreciate just sharing your knowledge and uh, your analysis and, and your wisdom well, about let me, this stuff. Let me, let, me, let me suggest that we could start to close this segment and we could have another segment another time. Okay. But I would like to share the message with your listeners and with your audience. Uh, and your friends and families that at the present moment uh, I'm sitting at my computer as well sending out a message related to the DACA issue. Mm-hmm. As you know, we have taken a position to challenge the geopolitical concept that we are somehow immigrants in our own continent. We don't buy that. Right. We have taken a position in the DACA fight that uh, we're, not, we're not interested in your documents. Uh, we, we will have to contend with your documentation systems as needs be 
But you're going to have to contend with our human rights as is necessary. Mm-hmm. Because human rights are universal. The U.S. government is a party to the United Nations Human Rights Declaration. And since 2007, our rights as indigenous peoples have been given recognition of being equal in terms of human rights to any other peoples in the world. Mm-hmm. That means that our human rights as indigenous peoples have to be brought into the discussions on these so-called status questions of who's who, where's, where's our nationality and citizenship lie. Mm-hmm. And as we've been sharing this conversation, we know exactly who we are, where we come from, and where we are destined to, to emerge once again. We've been through migrations in terms of our sons. We're into the sixth one now. We're well into the sixth migration into the sun, into the power of the fire of the sun of the sixth sun. The fourth sun that it preceded, the Naoyozin, the fifth sun, which we, our parents birthed us into, and now our generation is emerging into the sixth sun. This is what is being, this is what is being brought to light. This was being born forward. So we're asking your listeners to rally if they consider it appropriate, mm-hmm. if they consider it uh, uh, correct to their own standards or criteria around the call we're making to say human rights. Human rights cannot be deferred. Mm-hmm. And in that conversation, we, we take that stand. Now we start to address the human rights of all of our other relatives, including those of the colonizers. And we tell our colonizer brothers and sisters, you know what, brother? You know what, sister? You too have a right to be human. Mm-hmm. You too have a right to escape being a colonizer. Mm-hmm. What have you done to yourself? Right. Consider this normal. You got a right to heal, but you know what? It's going to hurt. If you look at the damage you've done, that means it's going to hurt because it takes the emotional toil to have to come to grips with what you have done and normalize not only to us. What have you done to yourselves mm-hmm. to consider a society you build on colonization and genocide? Somehow that's a norm. Somehow that's a society that we want to be part of. I'm sorry, but that's not the case. We're heading towards self-determination. We're children of the nations of Mother Earth. Avi Ayala is the name of our continent. And for those of us who are looking for status in America, I'm sorry, but that's heading towards deportation into colonization, and we're heading towards liberation. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, Tupac. Um, I think that it's really important especially here in Texas where there just the level of consciousness around all of this stuff I feel like you know we're only at the beginning point um I think that's a really important message you know that we can't that's all right. yeah we can't keep kind of trying to engage with the language and the thought structures of um of a settler state when we talk about these issues and I think that the way that you understand this issue with of, of migration and with the DACA issue is is exactly the way that people need to start thinking about it. Well, we hope it's of some use. We do encourage everyone to pick up on the message and and uh, and circulate it and disseminate it. Human rights cannot be deferred. Uh, you'll see the hashtag "Human rights cannot be deferred." We're pushing through that doorway in the cyberspace. And we're also calling for a set of convenings to put that strategy forward in a more comprehensive and effective manner, even as we have to contend with these systems, which are waging these psychological wars of, of oppression upon us, uh, suppression, and also trying to get us to fall into our, our own repression, mm-hmm. where we repress our own self-determination and consider that 
that that tactic or assimilation as something healthy for us or desirable. But in actuality, it's the final phase of genocide. But yeah. we repress our own identity, our own culture, our own language in order to fit in with the colonizer system. When we do that to ourselves, that's the final phase of genocide. It's psychological genocide. And we're not going to stand by. We will not abide by that. We will not comply. Uh, human rights cannot be deferred. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Um, is there anything final that you, like any concrete things that people um, can do wherever they're at that might be listening? Uh, as you as you said before, as you said before, uh, Manita, you know, you asked a question, what can be done, what can be done? Well, take a breath. Take a breath. Close your eyes and realize that you're... Take a breath and, re- and, and dream. Take a breath and take a dream. And when you open your eyes, look at the sky. Look at the earth. It's the same sky, it's the same earth. It's always been the same. Mm-hmm. All we have to do is be who we are. That's all we can do. That's all we're supposed to do. Just be who we are. We're beings. We're beings who are trying to be human. We have a right to be human. Let's do that. I really like that. Thank you so much, Tupac. I really appreciate it. And um, if you want to continue the conversation, just contact us anytime. We're happy to do future podcasts. Um on other issues or anything we've touched on here and uh yeah we hope to we hope to post this um at some point by the end of the week so we'll um we'll send you the link when we have it up uh, okay. okay and just for close uh, our website mm-hmm. okay Thank you so much, and we're going to share that the um, the essay also that you sent me as well. Um, is it okay? Do I need to contact the author for her permission? Or? No. Okay. No, I already contacted them. We actually co-authored that piece. So oh, gotcha. It's uh, that's what it's. That's why it's out there to be circulated. Okay, perfect. Yes, it's it's. I really liked it. Muy bien. All right. Bueno, pasa buenas noches y nos vemos en la otra. We'll catch you guys on the rebound. All right, igualmente. Thank you. Adiós. Adiós. Bye.